Welcome to the Rising Giants podcast. We're your hosts, Max and Dominic. Today, we have Cheryl Eng joining us on the podcast. She is the Startup Incubator Manager at UNDP Cambodia. We're really excited to have her on the show today. So I guess we'll just, uh, we can kick it off. Have you started recording? I have, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right, okay. All right, so yeah. Um, We're live. We are live. <laughs> coming on, Cheryl. Really appreciate you, um, you coming on the podcast. So we wanted to begin by talking about um, the current incubator that you work for, Blue Tribe, that's being run by UNDP. Um, and just maybe just give us a little bit of a background on how Blue Tribe came into existence and how you fit within that. Yeah, thanks, Max, um, for the introduction and thanks for having me on. Um, so for UNDP Blue Tribe, the work that we're doing right now, um, it's an incubator that's under a youth employment project. So essentially, we did some qualitative research in December of 2019. And we found really two things that were lacking here in the ecosystem in terms of the support. It was investment readiness and also the commitment to entrepreneurs in, uh, for their business. So essentially, if we're working with youth right now, ages 18 to 30, um, it, youth actually make up more than 60% of the population. So 66, I think it's two thirds in Cambodia, which means that if they're creating businesses, they're also creating jobs as well. Um, and what we're finding though, is that with the current incubators that we've seen, there's really, it, it kind of tackles like the beginning of creating a business. So you go through design thinking, create the lean canvas. Um, you guys probably all have heard about like, um, going through the design thinking process, going with a problem statement and then coming up with like a, a solution on a lean canvas. And that's like the traditional route, right? Of um, sort of many incubators. But what we're lacking and what we're seeing is that people don't really understand how do I t come up with a more viable business model in terms of commercialization of their businesses. Mm -hmm. So UNDB Blue Tribe is essentially giving um, a 5K grant in pre-seed uh, money to each of the startups. So we look for individuals um, that have a track record. So have you guys heard of Antler or yes. uh, Yeah, so similar model. And so when we were designing this, we we're like, really cool to bring in these individuals, right? As um, uh, coming in with an idea or they already have a team. So we're looking at early stage startups that have been in operations for less than a year and that hasn't given up equity. And then we're also looking at individual profiles. So this was our assumption <laughs> when we were creating it. And we we're like, oh, okay, we're gonna get like the best youth in Cambodia um, to, to actually create businesses that are gonna be better than what we've seen in terms of producing results within six months. Um, and so instead of sort of a competition where we've seen a lot of cash and prize money, we want to actually inject money for them throughout the program to get them kickstarted. Um, and on top of this, we're asking for full-time commitment. Um, it was funny throughout the incessant process, we're calling uh, individuals to make sure that they can commit full-time. And so I'm at the office and I'm calling these individuals like, 
you know, would you quit your job? <laughs> and our, um, our program is under the Youth Employment Project, which we're supposed to employ people. <laughs> so we're doing this ironic thing of like, you know, we just want to make sure that you can commit full time. So, you know, we want to make sure that you uh, are able to leave your job. Um, and so we've found a really, really great individual through the assessment process, which then our model is now um, giving a pre-seed grant of 5K, a stipend on a monthly basis, and then also this network where they can reach out to a global network of advisors. And so these advisors are also potential investors. Um, and that's sort of the a new... Um, model that we're, we're trying out. We don't know if it's going to work. I think we've learned a lot already in the past five months. Um, but it's exciting work to see them and work with them uh, really closely uh, throughout six months because they're fully working on their business, which is, um, it's, it's different to see. Okay, okay. And, and so, and so um, how long will the, the current um, incubation stage last for? And, and what's the, what's the um, direction moving forward? Yeah, so right now we have um, we have seven startups yeah. and they are on a spectrum of still very, I would say idea stage. And this is a thing is you will never get it right when you select candidates for anything. Mm -hmm. I think because there's always going to be aspects. It's almost like get hiring for a job, right? Like you'll go through an interview process and you say, oh, I really like this person. It's a great first impression. And then you start working with them. You're like, oh God, there should have been a probation period, right? Mm. Um, and with us, we aren't able to have that probation period. If I were to do it, I'm more cutthroat. And it's like, look, you haven't hit your business milestones that you set off. Um, you know, you can't continue in the program because there's no point of giving you money to keep doing nothing. <laughs> mm. So, um, so essentially we have startups that are now uh, looking for investment and actually in negotiations with um, an angel investor. And then we also have still startups that um, working on their MVP on to market. In Cambodia, there's a whole thing about reskilling and upskilling because in terms of the education that's been provided or the trainings, it's not necessarily on par of what corporations or businesses are looking for. So they're trying to train and upskill construction workers. Um, you know, there's a lot of news around some of the buildings collapsing in Cambodia. And so when you, uh, when you think about sort of how these construction workers are trained, um, you know, we don't know if there's like a proper process. So this is where they're trying to, a part of their business is actually connecting these uh, skilled labor workers and training them to connect them with uh, suppliers or project managers that are looking for these skilled labors. So that's just one aspect of sort of the, the good um, of the social aspect in SDGs and reskilling, upskilling. Um, and then we have the education sector. So we have uh, these great, like these brilliant 18 year old, um, I would say kids, but they're adults, 18. Uh, but they've graduated from a really great private school where they had a lot of um, experience and exposure to sort of the westernized culture and this learning of experiential learning. So they studied at Liger uh, Leadership Academy. And uh, it's crazy. They have a pool. They learn design thinking. It's not even like learning design thinking in one course, but it's embedded in what they've been taught. 
So it's way better than the education I feel like I got in Canada. And I wish I was, you know, uh, I wish I went there, but essentially they're trying to package these uh, experiential learning kits for, um, for teachers and for public schools to reach remote areas where these students are not just learning from a traditional textbook, but they're learning with these experiential learning kits that are aligned with their national curriculum. So this is obviously in terms of you think about scale, it's a little bit harder to produce physical kits. So they are starting with this and then they want to um, evolve into offline learning labs and online learning labs that either are um, separate from this or actually complementary to these kits. Um, and then we also have, uh, I think another one just to highlight is uh, one in the health sector, so telemedicine. And this is really tricky in, I think, particularly Cambodia, because there aren't any regulations. And this is a big thing in terms of uh, some of the developing markets. The, the ministries are a little bit still behind on coming up with these kind of regulations, whether it's, you know, think, people think about like, venture capital and not a lot of venture capital firms are actually uh, licensed, you know, in Cambodia and, and it's actually difficult to get. And so when we think about telemedicine, um, there's no telemedicine regulations. So, you know, from a startup perspective, it's like, do I wait? Do I have to work with um, the Ministry of Health to continue or do I just kind of run with it until they stop us? Um, and so sort of the their thinking behind this is that you actually just start building your product um, because they know that this is needed and actually used and it's growing outside of Cambodia. If they start building their product now and they're able to get enough traction, they can then show the Ministry of Health later on, even though there's no regulations, to be like, hey, we can be the first company and the first startup that you can work with to actually come up with these um, regulations based off of our experience. So it's actually really interesting uh, being in a different, uh, I guess, like an emerging or frontier market uh, to, to see that regulations are actually a huge blocker and also company registration is as well. Because in Cambodia, it's unlike any other country where you have to file your taxes every month. And you think about what the hell, like that's, that's crazy. Uh, and a lot of work, right, on the startup aspect side. And also to, to open up a company is a little bit vague. And then also to close the company, it would probably cost more and take longer than to open up a company. So there's still, I think in the next few years, it's harder for businesses to actually register. And so there's a few now growing players with like the Ministry of Economics, uh, Econ Economy and Finance, where they have a government agency called Khmer Enterprise. And they basically have an entrepreneurship development fund that's now giving um, money or partnering and co-investing with a lot of ecosystem or entrepreneur ecosystem support organizations. And through that, then they're gonna, obviously their goal is to register businesses so they can get data. The government always just wants data, but they don't have it. Facebook probably has more data in Cambodia than the government has, uh, let's be real. Uh, so. It's, it's quite interesting to see sort of now the ecosystem moving towards this uh, direction under kind of, because it's now the money is flowing from the government, actually most of the activities and programming um, that hopefully in the next few years, business registration becomes a lot easier and that people are able to do that so that we can formalize um, some of these companies. Okay. 
Okay, and and yeah, you're just touching touching on um, you know some of the challenges that they've that they've encountered. What about on the um, you know uh, coming to market and working with some of the venture capital firms here or angel investors? Um, how do you kind of, how do you rate the overall appetite from from investors in Cambodia? And, and do do you see a bias towards specific sectors, whether it's you know like you know like like what what's happened with Click in the market? You know that they're rate they've raised a lot of money in fintechs very attractive but is that um does that mean other other parts of the market are being neglected and where would you where would you say the bias is yeah that's a really good question i think with funding and if we think about vcs it's very very early stage for vcs i think to invest in startups here and the ones that have been invested um there's not a lot of cambodian born and grown up here um, that are entrepreneurs that have been invested in. They're mostly either Cambodians that have come back from abroad that have been born here, but grown up abroad, come back um, with an overseas education or being a foreign, like an expat like us um, that have started businesses and have gotten VC funding. I, I personally don't know if it's going to be like, a, there's a particular sector that's being heavily funded um, but in the ecosystem support side, what I'm seeing is that these very early sta uh, stage startups, um, they're nowhere near the funding aspect of being uh, sort of with funded by VCs. They're mm -hmm. more so funded by angel investors. And this is where uh, the whole ecosystem of uh, I keep saying ecosystem. We took like shots and, <laughs> and uh, every, every time I said ecosystem, I think we'd not finish this podcast. Um, <laughs> but I think in terms of the funding with angel investors, um, it's more so for the network and for the, the founder. So a lot of the support right now that's offered are for young entrepreneurs. So ages 18 to 35 or even 40. Um, and the, the focus is still on, hey, like join this boot camp, join this competition. And it's more so like, uh, let's do some activities, let's think about ide ideation. And so in Cambodia, majority of the incubator support is at the very early stage. For these startups so the investment landscape is still not they're not ready for that because they're not ready to get funding to scale because they don't have the right business model they don't have enough traction yet um, and what we're seeing a lot of these businesses here that are even funded are copycats of things that are done outside of Cambodia so you think of like delivery uh, food delivery um, services that's already been done outside of Cambodia. And so now people are trying to replicate it here and they're able to say, look, like this has been done in other markets. We've gotten traction here in this market. Then we can get VC funding for other startups. It's a little bit harder. Um, and I think with our cohort, what we're trying to do is we will introduce them to venture capitalists, but what we're actually trying to introduce them to our angel investors. Mm -hmm. And these are like, let's say the Akneas here or people that have started businesses. The only thing about in Cambodia is that there's a lot of rich Cambodian families as well, like very wealthy, but they've invested in real estate and not necessarily in startups. So they don't really understand the risk that comes with it with startups. They don't know what the process might look like. Um, you know, 
and it, it's a little bit different in the mindset that we kind of have to change. And there needs to be someone that either an organization or someone that helps these wealthy people get into this investment with these startups. And there's like a CIC, like the angel investment group, but then there's two sides to it. I'm going to be really like blunt on this podcast is like, people are like, Oh yeah. Like, have you introduced them to anyone in this angel investment network? Uh, you know, they can get connected and potentially get some investment, but it's really tiny. The investment is like, let's say $50,000 for maybe like 40% of your company, right? Because these people don't know enough about investment in startups. And then you get that also that other side of people saying like, um, you know, if you're really looking for someone that knows investment, these people are the ones that keep low. They're not a high profile um angel investor that will say like, I'm the angel investor, like come to me. Uh, it's usually the ones that are quiet and they stay low. And so I think network here in Cambodia is so important to yeah. get into that space. Yeah. Well, and also I think the, um, the, the, the venture capital community here, we see there aren't that many venture builders here yet. So pe people that are really focusing on the, on the early stage, like, you know, there's, there's Obor, there's MSP, there's Octane. Um, but, but a lot of them aren't actually, you know, quite a few of the, um, the investment firms here aren't ready to write checks, like very small checks. So I think we, we also do welcome um, that there is some new activity of people wanting to enter the market, like 500 startups is planning to launch in Cambodia with an incubator program. But I'm sure that will then, you know, transition to something, um, to something, you know, more related to, to, what, to what, what you were saying, you know, being able to write smaller checks at, at this level. Yeah. And it's really interesting too, to touch on the point, kind of going back to what you were saying with startups that are almost leapfrogging in Cambodia, where they're trying to get ahead of the regulation or the policies that are currently in place and are just going to build their product until it gets to a point where someone takes notice and says, oh, you know what, it would be a great idea to actually change something that's you know, in our, in our laws to, or in our policies to make sure that the, something that's really better for the people is going to be put in place. And um, to kind of touch on, especially with your, with the angel investing and building out that flywheel of um, getting investors excited about what of startups that are going on are being built in Cambodia. That's, that's another really important part. And it kind of almost takes one big push or one big player to say, you know what, I'll take the step into the deep end and really get, get it going specifically to your cohort. How is it that you're, that you choose companies or select companies through your process and kind of walk through the process with that? Yeah, I think for us, it's a little bit different in the model that we were selecting early stage companies and then also individuals. So in Cambodia, it's quite different in terms of the, the talent. I think a lot of people talk about this uh, with the education that's been provided in terms of uh, some skills like critical thinking and functional or soft skills you want to talk about. So with the early stage companies that we, or the, actually let's talk about the assessment process for us is that we'll look at everyone as an individual profile. So if you're part of a company, let's say you're applying with five people, um, we'll look at your individual profile first and then we'll do a vetting process. So for us, we had 300 applications and we've only accepted, we were only planning to accept 20 and we know there's going to be a drop off rate. Um, and so in terms of the 20 that we've selected, some of them come in as companies and we said, look, 
they have enough traction. We really believe in the founders. And so they go through a process, not just as an interview with us and a physical application, but they also go through a national selection weekend is what we call it. And throughout this weekend, we would love to have it in person so we can engage and see how they interact with other people, which is so important. But a, a big part of it is not, um, you know, we look from an investment point, you always look at how do you vet companies? For us, it's like, how do you vet people? And for us, the, the people aspect was if we give them feedback on a certain aspect of their business, or let's say during the selection weekend, we put them through an activity, how do they take the feedback and how do they actually come back out? Either they implement it or they explain sort of if they get questioned that same thing, how do they explain what their thinking was behind why they decided not to go with that route or something else? So I think these are so important and in such a, you know, in COVID time to do this kind of vetting, it's really difficult, especially because the people that were part of this were actually global advisors. So these guys have seen a lot of founders before and they know sort of the qualities that they see in terms of how they interact with other people and whatnot. But online on Zoom is just like another, it's really hard to tell, um, especially if you're, let's say you go in a social setting and you see how they interact with other people. Like that is sometimes um, a really good indicator of, you know, how they might go out and really hustle to get um, investment, to get partners, to get customers. So um, our investment process at the end was after the selection weekend, uh, we got our advisors um, and also potential investors to, to be part of this assessment process. And then we narrowed it down to 20. And then uh, we were expecting, you know, they date throughout like one or two months, I want to say. And they say like, oh, I like this founder or hey, like, I don't think I can get married to this founder. And then, um, and then they kind of move forward uh, in the next six months. So for us, it's really either on the individuals rather than uh, the company, because we've seen, let's say someone come in and they say, we have this idea. And we're like, that idea sucks. And that's the thing in Cambodia is people need to say that to people mm -hmm. uh, or to founders. And here everyone's like, you know, let's like hold hands and sing Kumbaya kind of thing. <laughs> and, and for us, it's like, you know, we're telling you this idea may not do well because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And we tell them, when you come in with this idea, don't expect it to kind of run through. Uh, and so what we did see is one of the startups, we chose them because of them, and this is the experiential learning kits, uh, because of them as individuals and not the idea. They came in with a separate idea and they changed it throughout the program. So it's uh, really, I think in Cambodia, investors are looking for the people and that's why they're investing more on, it sucks, but they trust expats and people that have overseas education because of, let's say, their thinking um, and maybe their functional skills a little bit is uh, higher than, let's say, someone that's Cambodian born. I don't think that's true, but that's just sort of the, the stereotype in the ecosystem when it comes with investment. Mm. For Blue Tri specifically, what is the vision of the incubator that you see within the next few years? We started off with a, an assumption that we could model Antler and we could model Entrepreneur First. But the talent here from what we've seen is not quite there yet in terms of a founder being able to be matched with another one just because of skill set, for example. So let's say a technical person might not be able, they might not be able to find someone that has experience as a software developer if they're doing a tech company. 
the other aspect where we're hoping to change and to focus on is actually the startups that have been, let's say in a year of operation, either has traction with revenue or no, no traction. For example, the healthcare company right now, they're still starting to build. So they've joined other incubator programs two years ago, but really didn't take it seriously. So they didn't really progress in terms of results back then. For us, we're very results driven in terms of, let's say, A, the funding rate, the amount of customers that, or partners that they have. Um, and these are tangible things that can help grow their business forward. So with Blue Tribe, I'm hoping that we can tackle this area of, it's not an acceleration, for example, I, I would say it's sort of this in between. So after there's a bunch of incubators out there, after people go through incubators, I want them to go into Blue Tribe where they're still trying to refine their business model. They may have a little bit of traction, but they're not, we want to get them investment ready if they're ready to scale. So we kind of want to be this in between with incubators and accelerators, which is the current gap here in Cambodia is once people finish with incubators, it's like, where do I go next? Where do I find support? And they kind of jump through incubators to incubators and they might get like a, a small thing, whether it's media. Also media is really easy to get in Cambodia. So um, I don't know if that's a, it's a good thing because it will keep pushing startups to go in the same direction, right? And it might not be the right direction. So that's another topic that probably could talk a long, a long time about. But for Blue Tribe, we really wanna tackle the in-between with incubators and accelerators and starting to already connect them with investors who can give them advice on their business model. So uh, we provide them in the right network, but also the refinement of their business models and getting them a little bit more uh, commercialized, I think, because startups here aren't really focused on commercialization. It's kind of execution, execution, but then you might look at their P&L statement. They don't really know how to like even organize that or come up with a business model or different types of a pricing model. And so like, these are things that we're hoping to support in, um, but I'm finding it really difficult to support in the idea stage because they don't know what's the right pricing yet, let's say. So we would come after the ideation and a little bit of execution that they've done with market research. And we would help on the commercialization aspect um, for Blue Tribe in the next few years. Well, that's really interesting. And to kind of transition into the media and startup for, for yourself as well, you are a co-founder of GenI in Toronto and, and as well as the Impactful Work podcast. It'd be really great to hear your perspective and your background as to why you started it and kind of what your goal is of the, of the Impactful Work podcast as well. Yeah, it's, it's funny because now I'm on the other side. Um, and I'm usually the one who loves asking questions about you guys. Uh, I think with Gen I, it was similar in a sense where I wanted to create this uh, support for startups that focused on social impact. And that's really, uh, it could be very subjective, right? In terms of any business, you can kind of turn it into being like, okay, yeah, we're making a social impact because we're doing this that's embedded in the business. What I'm finding here in Cambodia is that everyone is very much wanting to actually create a social impact because there's so much to still do in Cambodia and so much to 
Like when you think about business opportunities, maybe you guys want to start one in the next few years in Cambodia here, because there's a lot of opportunities, a lot still to be done. And so the thinking behind Gen I was to hopefully create in, in Canada and westernized cultures in a different market. Everyone's thinking about another tech startup, another software company that solves like a B2B issue. And these are really successful. Some of them are really successful, but to me, that's boring. I don't know why, um, but I come here and the, the level of um, startups is not there yet in terms of the technology or like deep tech. It's just not there because people are still trying to solve the digitalization aspect of traditional SMEs to become online. So like we're at a very um, sort of like separate ends, but in Canada, not a lot of people think about social startups or social impactful startups and now it's growing, but it's still not, it, it's boring to me. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. It's like, oh, you started another tech startup? Oh, that's awesome. You know, you're fundraising? Oh, great. Um, here it's, it's different because People are so passionate about solving an, a problem that ha has a bigger impact essentially for the greater population in here in Cambodia. So with the Impactful Work podcast, it wasn't just about startups. It's about showing people that no matter what background or expertise, you're an engineer, you're a consultant or whatever profession that you're going to pursue, you can make money while doing it. Um, and that's another thing here is like, people are like, oh, you might not be making so much money here, but it's also like, I'm not spending as much as I would be in North America. So like the purchasing power parity is basically a lot, like it's, it's better for me here, I think, uh, in terms of like my spending for rent and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And to go into the impactful podcast as well, the last episode that you had was an interview of you again, but it was to, to hear about you, the position that you accepted at UNDP. In that interview, you were actually supposed to leave a couple of days later after it. And one of the things that you said is that you really don't know what to expect, but you're really excited. And what would be really interesting is to hear how your mindset has changed and how you see things now from your first day coming into Cambodia to uh, where you are today, almost a little over a year later. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And also, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think a year ago, I looked back and I'm like, who, you know, I was really naive. I don't know if it was with the same with you guys when you came to Cambodia. It definitely was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, I knew nothing about Cambodia. It, it was more so, I thought it was just a developing country. So let's say we go out to the province just outside of Phnom Penh. I thought that would be like, let's say Kampong Cham or Kampong Spu. Like I would think that Phnom Penh was still that. So when I first came, I was like, I'm ready to be like a backpacker and live in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the cool life, right? <laughs> yeah, like the very hipster. And, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm willing to like go through all this stuff. And then I start realizing and I'm starting to look around. It's funny, the first time I was walking through, I was like, oh, is it weird if I just sit here? I went to the market to buy something and I sat on like the sidewalk, literally I sat on the street cause I was like, Oh, okay, this is normal. You know, I'm in a developing country. Yeah. All good. Um, and then you start looking around you're like, Oh shit, there's money here. Mm -hmm. Um, there's uh, a lot of wealthy people and a lot of business opportunities. And so 
my mindset, my, my mindset shifted uh, when I realized that there were actually a really, not the large in proportion to obviously the whole Cambodia, but you'll see, you know, I think that it starts clicking in Cambodia or in the city when you start seeing Rolls Royces everywhere. So I'm hoping that, you know, from my perspective before of Cambodia is it doesn't have money. Now that I know people have money here, it's like, how can we use this money to now diverge in for their investment into startups and getting them to, to start. But I think it, it will take at least like three to five years to even shift that mindset. And then for it to become like a, um, you know, like one Aukenia will be like, oh yeah, I invested in this startup and this is my return sitting at the dinner table rather than saying like, oh, I invested in this real estate and whatnot. Like we need to have those dinner table conversations with these people who have money and shift it to being like, oh, have you heard of this business that I'm investing in and whatnot? Do you, do you think, um, do you think that, you know, the, the coronavirus pandemic has um, caused a shift towards people actually wanting to look at the domestic economy, like whether it's from even just a simply from a tourism perspective, you know, you can't leave the country. So you've got to go stay in the hotels in Cambodia if you want to, you know, go and take some time off whenever you're going to take time off. So um, are, you, are you seeing that shift? And, you know, with, with a company like NAM24, it's probably, probably the most high profile um, startup here that's, you know, got to a certain valuation, you know, people that have invested in that early on, you know, are doing very well. So yeah, what kind of other examples do you think we need um, to, to, to shift that? And do, do you think the coronavirus has actually already shifted that focus? I think it's definitely accelerated um, the, the adoption to technology for, um, for those that aren't, this is, I guess, from the UNDP standpoint, um, I think it shifted in um, income classes that don't necessarily use technology as often to actually start using it. For people like us that are, uh, you know, that want to now use food delivery services more so often, yeah, of course it's helped the economy with these types of startups with, um, let's say with, uh, we could talk about Chibam Deli Shop, for example. It's like, the second wave for us was in December where it was just one local transmission and it kind of shocked everyone. But during that time, it's like the sales can grow more than like double, right? Or however much it grew. But yeah, Max, you would know that. But th this is the thing is it's definitely, um, I don't know if it's shifted the behavior of let's say people who are using the technology already. It's just kind of, they're using it more so often. But I think what it is shifting is for those that are um, less, uh, they use this technology less, is that they're shifting it to this behavior. So the, the group of people, it could be the same, it might not be like, let's say expats or um, Cambodian people that have come back abroad, but it could be like a lower uh, class where they then start using uh, technology to help them get connected more so easily with news, not just like, it's not just um, like services or startups, but definitely with media consumption. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, from, from our perspective, like we see, you know, we've seen a lot of, you know, activity in e-commerce, logistics, fintech, mm -hmm. probably, I mean, the, the, the telemedicine health, um, health space has been, has been interesting as well. But I think, I think what's interesting with Cambodia that I think a lot of people have to realize is that 
you know, there are many countries in the region that went much more into a lockdown than Cambodia did. So as well, you know, Cambodia has been able to, um, you know, keep a lot of its sort of offline economy going. Um, so I think that that's an interesting caveat. Like if you, if you, if you talk to people in like Myanmar or Thailand, it's a bit of a different um, situation. Actually, that, that's a good segue into um, how, how, how do you, how do you kind of understand Cambodia in comparison to the region? And like, wh where, where do you think it's at? And where, where do you think the kind of investment appetite is, is coming? Are, are people sort of, from the angel investors or the, you know, the investors that you talk to, are people starting to shift their perspective? And are we, you know, it, it, can, can you say that you know, Cambodia is the next Vietnam? <laughs> I think it will take a while. I think the, um, there was a poorly written article that came out not so long ago that said Cambodia cannot produce, no way can they produce unicorns. And, you know, I think that's not true. It's just obviously in Cambodia, no unicorn can be produced in one single market. That's the only thing, right? You got to go at like the, the size and the population here is uh, I think in Jakarta is like 25 million. <laughs> and then you, that's just one city in Indonesia, for example. Um, and here we have like 16. It's not, it, it, it's, I think I, I can't speak as to um, what I'm seeing around in the other regions, but I know in terms of um, just, I look at the startup ecosystem and where it's going. I had a conversation with a coworker and he was like, you know, in 10 years, I, you know, we don't want to see incubation programs. I hope there are no incubation programs. And I said, I think there always has to be because people that want to be entrepreneurs still need them, but there's just a smaller percentage. So when I'm thinking about where Blue Tribe fits in, we're sort of in that middle. So there's going to be, let's say in five years, more need for the support after incubator, uh, for after incubation programs to support and more acceleration programs rather than, um, incubator programs. And then this starts to, as we're building the after incubation support, we're also then connecting to investors abroad. And their obviously perception is still, you know, Cambodia is a small market and then they see, um, you know, the businesses that come out of it. They're like, oh, well, it's just another telemedicine company. I've seen that in India, you know, or I've seen this food delivery company, you know, out of, in other places. So, it's difficult to really change the mind of some investors. They, they're looking for the return. So they're like, okay, I'm investing it because I see the return, but it's not necessarily the innovation aspect, which is interesting. Um, and it's more so they, they want to get their money, but they also are saying like, look, I'm just doing it because I see the growth that you're projecting and I'm aligned with that, but less so of, okay, I see, like, I want to support you to go to series A and whatnot. It's harder to convince, there's some, but again, it goes back to the founders and with the founders, the Cambodian born and people that have grown up here, it's really hard to convince investors unless you have already traction or you have already had this relationship with this investor. Yeah, I think, I agree. There's definitely a, there's definitely a big focus on these you know, business models. You take them from, from wherever, and you supplant them here and you say, okay, we're just going to do it here. But I also think, you know, there's huge potential in, in a lot of these kind of, um, you know, whether you, you'd put them more in the le like less techie um, se sectors. And uh, I mean, even in the agricultural space, you've seen like exports, 
you know, across like non-rice and all types of agricultural products, like go up very significantly here. And even just, even just like, I think there's some activity in the dairy farm space, you know, yeah, a lot of, yeah, a lot of interesting things to be done that aren't in, involved in, in tech. Um, so yeah, also I wanted to touch on, um, like what you would say your commitment is to Cambodia long-term, like where, where do you personally see yourself moving like where, where, where do you where do you want to be long term in relation to Cambodia I I always tell my coworkers and everyone that I would want to stay here for the next couple of years I always joke around saying in, in Khmer it's like which means like you want a Cambodian husband uh, <laughs> and you'd stay here long term but I think because we, I think we were talking about this just a little bit before where you could potentially start your own business here, um, whether it's a consulting firm or, you know, there's definitely a lot of problems to be solved here. And with our experiences from abroad and overseas, it doesn't necessarily will solve it right away, but you kind of have to work with the, um, just like the environmental factors and the cultural adaptation from other business models that are similar to, to solve the problems here. Um, I think my commitment to Cambodia is really helping, like I'm very passionate about the commercialization of startups. I've said it a couple of times, but it's because the startups that have been in many incubation programs are really focused on execution and not equipped enough with business acumen, either, you know, understanding yeah, their, their P&L, how it works, what kind of pricing they need to be looking at with their costs, um, and also getting them connected with investors and programs abroad. Because I think it's, it's sad to see, but you, you know this where there's Cambodians that once they go abroad and they come back, it's a lot easier for them to get a job and it's a lot more credible. But the same thing with startups. If, you, if a startup from Cambodia that's not expat owned or not, let's say a Cambodian um, educa uh, educated overseas. Um, yeah, like a, a repat, right? You call them repat. A repat, yeah. <laughs> but I think just the Cambodian born and people that have grown up here, I really want to support them to go abroad and to go into these acceleration programs or programs where they can get a, a different perspective and a different level of um, entrepreneurship support because here the the support is you know even the people that can provide that support with commercialization the operations and the resources that you put into these types of programming is just not worth it in their eyes they would rather put that money into a startup to see them grow rather than in these operations and I totally understand that but I'm more so passionate about the in-between where it's like okay we'll put it in operations and resources but also you can then connect them with these types of um, investors or programming abroad. How important is it having work-life balance for you? And currently, are you on the 24 seven grind of keeping the incubator running and running all the gears or is it more of the laid back lifestyle that, that you're living and working? It's a good question because if you've asked this a year ago, I would say, I was on the grind 24 seven and I had a really good work-life balance. Um, here, when you're in a different 
country, and it depends which frontier market and which country you're in. In Cambodia, as you probably both know, it's uh, Max called it like the Phnom Penh vortex, you know, that you can get sucked <laughs> into because you want to meet other people. Um, and you want to, if you're in this country, in this new country, like why stay home when you can go out and meet really amazing people? And I think it's quite different when, at least from my experience in Toronto, when you go out and you have a couple of drinks, the topic of discussion is more so like, how do I, you know, become financially independent? What real estate property are you investing in? And it's a little boring to me. Yeah, pretty dry, pretty dry. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and of course, everyone's really unique and all that kind of stuff. But here you learn about how they got to Cambodia. Cambodia is not a country that you just come to to start your career. No one thinks about, you know, their like growing their career unless it's a really great company here. You're taking a risk in sort of this frontier market and coming here um, because you're open-minded. And I think that's the greatest thing about being in Cambodia is it's, it's harder to maintain a work-life balance. I think that here it's like you, you really work hard and you play hard for sure because almost every night it's, I would say it's a mixture of work and play because you would go out after works after work and you call it like a networking drink. I think Max, we were just talking about this with um, Jasmine. She's like, oh, I thought this was a networking drink because she was just meeting up with us. <laughs> and I was like, no, we can talk about really anything, but it's, it's a little bit of networking, a little bit of still a social life because at the end of the day, Phnom Penh is so small that you realize that whoever you go out with, whether it's for a drink, whether it's coffee or lunch, they end up interwining with your work life. And I think that's a beautiful part, but also being a small world, you have to be really careful about your relationships here. Um, personal, professional, same thing. You never want to leave it. Uh, <laughs> you never want to leave anyone ghosted in a compound because you will definitely bump into them again. Yeah, uh, I think the current stats before, um, before COVID was there was 100,000 expats in Cambodia. So I, I think that's probably a third of what it is. And if you think about that, that's, that's the, basically just a big university. So uh, yes. they're like, yeah, so it, it's, um, and of course, then if you segment by age group, you know, it's going to get smaller and smaller. So no, I, yeah, I, I agree. Um, so another question we want to ask is, uh, is who your number one mentor is and how you integrate their advice into your life? My mentor would be actually the person who got me to Cambodia, I would say. Um, his name is Vivekan, uh, and he was the one who was always pushing me to um, sort of go into the development sector. And he comes from a business background, like P&G, PwC, you know, someone that is business-minded or at least has a business acumen. And he's like, oh, you know, it's kind of boring too. So I want to expand into this sector. And it's, I don't know about you guys, but I found it really difficult to find people like that in North America where they still were business minded, but still wanted to go out to um, a development sector and not think about just like financial independence, which is important, but it's not like your whole life that you need to focus it on. Um, and so he was a really, um, uh, he played a really big part of my life in terms of pushing me to come here. If he didn't send me this opportunity, I wouldn't be here. Um, and continuously 
he challenges like my thinking in terms of, it's not just like, where do you want to be, you know, but he will start asking. And I think the best mentor is like the person that asks you questions that lead up to you thinking about what you want to do. It's not just giving you the answer right away. So, you know, he's not actually, he's just a year older than me, but I see him as a mentor. And I think age isn't really a, um, uh, ever since coming to Cambodia, I feel like age is just a number. Everyone um, who's like 35 or 40 still like loves to have fun, loves to have a drink um, and loves to talk about everything, not just business. So um, Cambodia has really opened my mind up in terms of that. And uh, Vivekan, shout out to him. He was also on my other podcasts. He played a really big role in uh, changing my mindset and still being okay with being in a developing country and still like, you know, not not investing in real estate all the time, 24 seven. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I do. I, I agree with that, but I also do think there is, um, you know, there is opportunity for, you know, the development sector, or even just the, if you're saying like the emerging frontier market investment space, or even if you're working, I mean, I have friends here, you know, working for a multinational that then, that then got assigned to Cambodia. So I think there are ways to, um, to, 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 you know, to find financial reward in, 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 in this work. Um, but you, it, it, it's actually quite a small community. So you've just got to, you've, you've got to network and, and figure out who those players are. Like, especially even in like, so if you talk about like frontier market investing, it's, you know, it's, it's probably a total of like 200, 200 firms globally that, that, are, that are doing it. But, you know, if you're, if you, yeah, if you're really passionate about it and want to, and want to get involved, it's, it's something you can, yeah, you can, something you can do because it, it's not at right at, right now. It's not that um, popular. It's not as popular, but it, it will grow. In, in my opinion, you know, frontier market investing is the next ESG impact. Um, I, I I personally believe all m most like pretty much all types of frontier market investing you are having an intrinsic impact, but you just have to you have to have an exclusion list on um, the types of investments that you're going to go for. So you're not going to be you're not going to be looking at coal. You're not going to be looking at the arms industry you're not going to be looking at environmental destruction but if you are investing in somewhere like cambodia or you know nepal or wherever it would be you, i mean you i would say you are making a big impact as opposed to directing that money to you know you know solar panels in canada or you know or whatever it is right so um i think you you can put money to work really well yeah well what do you think about that don would you agree yeah, and to go back to to one of the points that you made, Cheryl, especially I know it's it, it it kind of touches on the fact that most of the conversations that or most of the the focus that we have, um, especially in North America, too, is this financial security and stability that we're almost taught from a really young age. It's to get good grades, to go to maybe a good school, or just this very like linear mentality of, of being able to, well, when you retire, then you can finally have this sort of fulfillment idea. But I, I agree with you in the fact that that's also one of the reasons why I'd gone over to Cambodia was to not only um, was to pursue a passion of being able to support these frontier markets and to support impact and the people that you meet and the people in different sectors, especially in, in Southeast Asia, have such a big and great ideas that you almost get influenced to the point that you want to become part of it. And really that that's kind of what locks in people to stay long-term in the region too. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, just to, to close it out, we have our traditional closing question for you. And that is, what is the most important advice you have ever been given? Uh, I would say there, there's been a lot of great advice. I think it's actually the opposite as to how it's affected me. So it was not the greatest advice, but the greatest, the feedback that was given. So I was working at um, Microsoft for uh, my first few years at a school and um, I was given this feedback. I was really bubbly. Like I'm a very, I was very, even more bubbly than I was now. And I love talking to different people or learning from them. So I'll just say what's on my mind sometimes without any filter. And I think that's also the Asian culture for me where, you know, coming from people like my parents are from Hong Kong, you know, if you ever go to a Hong Kong restaurant, it's like, what do you want to eat? Like, and, and like when they serve you, it's just like, here you go. And like, that's it. There's no, there's no customer service. Right. And so that's kind of embedded in, in me a little bit where it's just like, I'll just say what's on my mind. Um, and obviously I know in terms of like, uh, in any kind of political situation, you kind of don't want to be too aggressive sometimes, but essentially I was, I think I, I might've said something in a meeting with like an all hands meeting with a VP and essentially, uh, during my feedback session, someone, uh, someone was like, oh, well, I think you need to be like a little bit more careful, you know, when you open your mouth in a meeting, like, you know, when you speak to like a VP or something like that. Um, and essentially that was someone attacking me in terms of like, uh, you know, it wasn't just that example. It's just like, oh, you need to be a little bit more like toned down. Mm -hmm. Um, and I totally understand that now I see it in that perspective, but at the same time, it's like, I think there's another way to deliver that message, but I took it as to, okay, I need to shut up in a meeting mm -hmm. and, um, it's affected me, uh, to be quite honest, where that feedback, that advice, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I've now realized that after a year later, when I started Gen I, that VP was the one who reached out to me. It was like, I'm really interested in what you're working on. Let's have a coffee. And so it's these kind of, that feedback really got to me because um, it wasn't the greatest advice, but it was the greatest gift because I know now that I could still be myself in a situation. And especially in Cambodia, it's worked to my advantage where I can be myself. I can be charismatic or kind of just say it as it is. Um, and with Cambodians, it's kind of like a shocker, but for me, it's, uh, you know, when we do have a conversation, we can laugh about it. So it's helped me sort of to become better as to being okay with being who I am and very outgoing or just kind of blunt and you're not going to please everyone, but that has gotten me to, you know, what I see in the relationships that I've built here in Cambodia and back even at my workplace. So other workplaces. So that's sort of, it's not the best advice, but it's, it's the opposite where it's helped me. It was the best thing that's ever happened to me. Well, I think on that note, that is a great way to end today's podcast. And Cheryl, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Um, we really appreciated the conversation and everything that we learned today was, was really awesome. And we definitely look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thanks for having me, guys. Wow. <laughs>